Hey Pride fam, get ready for another episode of Pride the Podcast. Featuring special guest, the unsupervised Joanne Stack. You know, when you get lemons, make lemonade. Squeeze that shit over tequila. (laughs) And VP of Pride at MRC Entertainment, Alexis Fish. So grab you a hump day treat and take a little time to hang with Pride. It's Pride, bitch. Welcome to another episode of Pride the Podcast, brought to you by Rehab Entertainment. I'm Ashley Mitchell. I'm Mr. Brandon Bradley. I'm Darrell Anthony. And I'm Adam Andrew Rios. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Happy hump day, everybody. Yeah. So today we have an inspirational episode. You know, we're going to talk about heroes from all walks of life. As you know, this Friday is going to be the 19th anniversary of 9-11. And so we have two impactful women that are going to share their stories and and how 9-11 impacted their family. We have Joanne Stack, who... She's I mean, a friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Um, she's a lovely, lovely, lovely woman and fierce, darling. I can't <laughs> wait to talk to her. And then we have Alexis Fish, who is the VP of Pride and the first of her kind at MRC Entertainment that supervises Billboard and Hollywood Reporter. And she is using her platform to amplify POC and queer voices. And I can't wait to speak with her as well. Yeah. Yes. yes. So. So where were you guys when 9-11 happened? I personally was in biology class and we actually had a test and our teacher willed in the TV, muted it, and then I saw the second tower fall. I was in algebra. Mm-hmm. So eighth grade algebra. Mm-hmm. I was in algebra too. Hmm. I was in science also. as well. Oh. Like actually, so like we have two science, two... I got nervous though because the principal came in. It was like early in the morning, usually never happens. Right. And said, Miss Northcutt, can I speak to you outside? You immediately thought you did something wrong, right? No, not me. I was a good Christian student. Mm, a um, true one. But Adam Crowley sitting next to me, I was like, he in trouble. <laughs> um, yeah. But I'm excited to hear what Joanne's like personal story was because yeah. her husband was a first responder and was literally was firefighter there mm-hmm. on the scene the minute it happened yeah. so um i'm anxious to hear her personal and impactful and inspirational story coming up after this hello and welcome back to the podcast with our first guest just an exceptional woman um being that september 11th is coming up we thought how could we not have a friend of the pod joanne stack on with us today. Not only is she a friend, just her story, um, her and her family story of being personally impacted by September 11th um, is just something that we wanted to bring to our listeners to hear firsthand of what your experience was. So hello, Joanne. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm blessed and honored to be a part of this. So thank, thank you for joining us. Likewise. No, thank you. So just to dive right in, obviously September 11th is this week. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about what happened to you and your children? Sure. Well, my husband, um, my late husband, was a New York City fireman down in the Bronx um, during 9-11. And... Um, Yeah, so we were used to him going on calls and things like that. And we really didn't talk too much about it. This day was um, unlike any other, obviously. And, um, you know, he was working on the side and got a phone call that all hands, which means every department reports. So I remember him. It was exactly 9.06 in the morning. I'll never forget that because I was staring at that um, cable box. And he says, I'm not sure what the, you know, lots of explicitives were used. I'm not sure what's going on, but I'll I'll try and give you a call. I didn't hear from him for three or four days after. (gasps) 
Wow. Yeah, and I had all five home, the little ones, and they were biddies at the time. You know, Darren was in middle school. Um, the rest of them were elementary school and preschool, and Ty was just one at the time. So, yes. yeah, this was insane. So you didn't hear from him for three or four days, like you said. What was going through your mind mm -hmm. knowing that the towers had fallen, people were dying? Well, what had happened was I knew after the first 24 hours that he was okay because they had have checkpoints. Okay. So there was someone at the firehouse and who would call one. And then we had this whole series of um, phone calls after that where I would call two and so on and so on and so on. And, but it was just the uncertainty of, yeah, okay, he's alive, but what? And then after that, you know, other towers were coming down. So at that point, it just got to be, you waited for that one phone call. Um, without being crass about the whole thing, I just remember waking up September 12th on my kitchen floor with the phone in my hand and a wine bottle in the other hand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm not ashamed to even tell that part of the story because it was just so, you're sitting on the phone with a bunch of other wives and all you're doing is, you know, there's nothing else for you to do. There's no other way to deal with it. You know, the kids were safe. They were fine. And we were home. We were all sleeping in the living room. But mm -hmm. it was just one of those, there's reality right there. You know, when you marry a civil servant like that, you, you know, you kind of prepare yourself in the back of your mind. You know, right. I like, like you took a deep breath when he walked out the door and you exhaled when they walk in. And yeah. the, I'm holding my breath underwater kind of situation where even if I took another breath or tried to let it out, nothing's gonna happen. Yeah. Right. You know, he finally came home that Friday, Friday after the towers fell. That was on a Tuesday. So he comes home Friday. The one thing I will never forget was his eyes were just black, like black. <sighs> it wasn't even a dilated pupil. It was just black. Darkness. Yeah. yeah. Walked in, kissed the kids, picked up a bag of clothes that I had put together for him and walked right back out. To go to work again? To go back. Yeah. Oh, wow. never leave that pile unless it was 1000% necessary. Wow. You know, which that's how, what they all did. They just showed up. They just did. How was that with the kids? Like how privy were they to exact everything that was going on? I mean, obviously like the one-year-old, like, you know. Yeah. Like, like I'm not going to um, sugarcoat that part of it. I was the worst because they say, stay off the television. I did not stay mm -hmm. off the television. I was literally glued. And what it was is I was kind of looking to see if I could see him. Yeah. You know, right. yeah. Can I see somebody I know? Can I catch something? You know, like they all had different um, ideas of what was going on. I couldn't really explain it to them because they were little. Darren got it. Darren totally got it. Yeah. How old was Darren at this time? Darren was in middle school. Right. So he was a year behind us. So we were in eighth grade, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So we he were. was like 12, 13. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he got it. And what was unfortunate about that was he immediately stepped into a role he was not ready for. You know, we used to joke and call him the camp counselor. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, now it took on like a whole other meaning where this was, he was soothing them and comforting them and talking to them. And in the same respect of, you know, where's his coming from? Yeah. That was yeah. me, but now I'm dealing with everybody. I'm dealing with people who are driving by the house and not even stopping, just driving by and looking. Cause you know, I pulled the curtains, turned off the lights. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Right. You know, it, a very surreal situation had occurred. Um, Two of the kids were in preschool and another fireman's wife or their children also went to the same preschool. And that day that we picked up all the kids from school, you know, I get out of the car and we both do the nod, like it's all good. When we finally resumed going back, her husband had passed away in the towers. We couldn't even make eye contact after that because here was the realization of what I still am and what I could have been. And the same, wow. both sides of it, it was unbelievably, and I'll just never forget that feeling where 
we just couldn't even look at each other. It was, yeah. That's rough. You've talked about, you talked a little bit about um, Darren and, and kind of him stepping into a role. You know, I know, you know, knowing you guys really well, you know, I know Kayla stepped up, you know, and, and Ryan and Corinne, they all stepped in many different ways. How do you feel that the girls, I, you know, I know that you're proud and joy, how do you feel that the girls saved you and took on that mother role together? Well, here's the, they, they kind of mothered each other. Like they mm -hmm. kind of understood without, I never had to say, leave me, you know, give me a minute. Let me deal with this. Let me explain. They just sort of got it. Yeah. Like they would go up and play with each other. It's probably the only situation where you can look at a double-edged sword. It was the most behaved they had ever been. Mm -hmm. um, they, they weren't like, they just sort of got it. You know, they just were sort yeah. of, we're going to behave. We're going to do the right thing. We've got this under control. They were confused about a lot of the people and all of the phone calls and the phone ringing all the time. But it was uh, like, the one thing I describe about 9-11 was, I appreciate all the never forget and the hashtags and everything else. And um, the difference is, is we didn't know we had the option. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I, like I drive around now and I see the lawn signs and I think to myself, when did we become a holiday? And I don't mean disrespect. I mean, right. oh, time to put up the 9-11 sign. And it just, it takes on a whole other meaning after a while where you just sort of go, you get once a year. This was our whole life. I, I mourn September 10th of that year. I mourn that because it was the last normal day. Wow. And I can't remember anything of that day and how selfish and how sad that is. But I can remember everything from September 11th on, even to today. Like I can remember everything. I miss do September you, 10th. Do you feel? while most of the nation doesn't have a personal story like you do and we celebrate every September 11th every year, is that just a dark spot that really hits home for you? Is it just a reminder of what happened? Yeah, yeah like we used to get it where we, it started in August where my husband would get all worked up and we didn't, you know, we knew why, but he was on edge, he was, little things would and it was august so when everybody's summer was ending at the end of ours was ending in august mm -hmm. um, he just developed this whole persona and it was just sort of walking on eggshells and literally september 12th done yeah so hmm. let's back up just a moment to make sure that our listeners understand the timeline a little bit better so september 10th september 11th 906 a.m something weird goes on in, in your life, you something is odd, something's off. You don't hear for your husband for two or three days. He finally comes home on a Friday and then he's back down at the at ground zero, making sure everything's good, restoring everything. Mm -hmm. The nation is- They know, were basically, to be honest with you, they were searching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were doing, like he, his old 24 partner, um, Andy Fredericks, still had not been located yet. He was determined not to leave until he was. So that was his mission. Mm -hmm. yeah. Each one of them had a different mission, mm -hmm. whether it was a personal friend, another brother, whatever it was, they weren't leaving until everyone was, or everyone was recovered. That was what was in there. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened between those times and your husband, your late husband's unfortunate passing? You mean between then and now? Yeah. No, between or then and the yeah. day that he unfortunately passed yeah. away. Um, well, Joe suffered severely from PTSD, which was something we actually kept really quiet mm -hmm. um, for the longest time. It's just not something you talked about now, yeah. But mm -hmm. during all that time, you just didn't bring it up because you just big, strong, you know, meat and potatoes guys don't talk about that. Right. right. Yeah. At all, ever even amongst each other, you just didn't bring it up. And this is crazy part where, and I've said this several times, during the course of all that time, I am a VIX freak. Yeah. I use VIX on everything. <laughs> oh, you, the kids get a scrape, put some VIX on it. <laughs> oh, that doesn't, oh, that, put some VIX on it. It clears up acne, put it on. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, and I have it everywhere and I give it to everyone. So I have those little, so anyway, <laughs> um, you know, throughout the years, Joe would trigger. And I didn't understand why, like, it would just, not that I understand why, I got why he was doing it, but I couldn't, like, I couldn't, I would go, God, we were having such a good day. Vicks would trigger him into, it would go back into a really dark place. The firemen and, and the responders used to put it under oh, their nose. Oh, wow. Smell. Wow. So I didn't understand that for years, I was actually his trigger. Oh no. Oh my goodness. So that disappeared for a while where, yeah, where I was just like, I couldn't believe that that's what it was. And then when I realized like, yeah, that was sad. That was just one of the little things. Like I said, he, you know, PTSD is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, he, he suffered greatly with it. And I said the one thing he got diagnosed with, um, stage four pancreatic cancer in 2017. And um, the one thing I said about the cancer was it was actually a blessing, believe it or not, because it brought him back to us. Hmm. It, the PTSD was gone, not gone, but now we had something else to focus on. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was humbling. It was, it was, it, it, he became a human again. He became the man that I married. Mm -hmm. yeah. which was unfortunate because then I only had him for eight and a half months once he had been diagnosed. Yeah. And what happened during those? Sorry. No, no, please don't say you're sorry. What, ha um, what happened between that moment that you found out that he was diagnosed and then those eight and a half months? The second that he was diagnosed that we were in the emergency room. He had gone and we thought it was an appendicitis. And um, you can start to tell that the vibe in, in the ER is changing. People are coming by and like one eyeing in the room. They're standing outside talking. No one's coming in and joking anymore. And I'm thinking, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like this, it's not good. Like this, there's no way this is gonna be good. It's not gonna end well. You know, unless they're gonna, yeah, there's no way this is going to end well. And the doctor comes in basically and rips the Band-Aid, which I appreciate that. Don't sit me down. And it doesn't happen in the movies where they sit you down and hold your hand. It doesn't happen that way. They literally flip a switch and they're telling you exactly what's happening. Mm -hmm. right. We called the kids right away. Um, I said, I'm not playing with this. I'm not, you know, whoever lived here was coming here and I was coming right to the emergency room and I was gonna get the rest of them on the phone and we were just gonna deal with this from day one. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what happened at that point. That was awful. Because you hear stage four pancreatic and you know, you just yeah. don't know, yeah. you know, but you don't wanna give up, but you know. Of course. Yeah. Right. And, and that, that was the hardest part. Mm -hmm. And then from there, what was the process like for you and your family linking it back to 9-11? Well, that was for us because he is a first responder, fire department, city of New York. He had been monitored. Like you had to go down and with your physicals and um, you know things like that. Like every time a symptom of anything came up that matched the description of 9-11, um, you were monitored for that. Mm. So that was very easy. That part was easy because all we had to do is make one phone call and they were on it. Yeah. You know, we're going to find them the right hospital, had to accept them and, you know, the right procedures and what we were going to do. And the, like, when I tell you that it was like that the wolves descended, they were right there. Like, yeah. you around and they were all right there, uniforms on, everything ready to go. Here we go. So we were blessed with that. Yeah. You know, and I remember Ryan crying at one point throughout this process saying, and I'm saying, baby, it's gonna be okay. Like things are gonna be okay. And she said, I'm not crying because of that. What do people do that don't have this? Wow. You know, and that was her like, yeah. 
I mean, it speaks to the power of, of your family. You know, mm -hmm. I, I feel that you were all worried about everyone else because you knew you knew what you would be able to get. Now, kind of going back to something you said earlier about people uh, putting signs, you know, it's becoming a holiday. How do you feel the media spun this into something that it wasn't? I don't, I don't know if they really let you all as a family and other families that were impacted really grieve the correct way. Do you feel the media just ripped it apart? How do you feel they about did. it? They did. Well, of course, you, you know, you have it where it's grandstanding. Right. Where it's somebody, whether it's a, an election year or not, it's somebody else's political agenda to be the better one. Right, right. Because you see it happening now, almost 20 years later, who screwed up? Right. Oh, right. he lied to you, he lied to you. We didn't lie to you, he lied to you, but we knew he was lying. So what does that make you? Who right. screwed up, in your opinion? Who screwed up, in my opinion? Everyone. I, mm -hmm. I honestly don't think, it's kind of like what's going on now. How in the world do you tell people one day, yeah, you don't have to wear a mask, and then the next day, no, you have to wear a mask. Oh, you don't need gloves. No, yeah, you need gloves. Yeah. So I think it, the scenarios change when it fits somebody else, when they're trying to backtrack. So mm -hmm. that happened. There wasn't just one person. It was everyone screwed up. Yeah. yeah. You that the air is not safe to breathe. And you're telling them, no, it is. We tested the air. How did you test the air? Mm -hmm. right. You know, these right. are, I don't understand. There's dust everywhere. There's particles. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you thought it was safe, how you could say it was safe is beyond me. Yeah. Right. How did you yeah. feel when John Stewart testified in front of Congress uh, and literally slammed them for John Stewart, yet another hero? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he's the most an incredible human being because he does this all selflessly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He didn't have a political agenda. No, he had nothing. Uh, he's yeah. speaking he from the heart. Love for the first responders and um the 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 all of the people involved, the lay people involved, he just had nothing but love for justice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And doing the right his, his impassioned speech, just like I think oh my God, it, to everyone. It, it, yeah. He was crying. I was crying. I was crying. Like, yeah, yeah. It was just and, and he was just so serious. He was just like, yeah. I don't understand. And I think that that's where everyone is a nation when something happens, you know. Obviously, we're going through this global pandemic now. And I think people just have questions. It's like why why were we not prepared and also if we're not prepared why are we not doing better to take care of our people yeah. why didn't you take care of all those wives and husbands who lost someone and those family and i mean you had kids in preschool mm -hmm. and like now we're doing something else on a you know two hundred thousand americans have died at this point and people are like what are we doing again we're sending our kids back to school like why? people are scared and you know what happens when people are scared things go crazy. yeah and yeah. the thing <clears throat> From now on, the way I feel about it is you have to go with your gut. Right, yeah. Yeah, right. It's proven that nobody else has got your back but you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, and in this, like, like we can associate everything again with today. If you don't feel comfortable about sending your child back to school, then don't. Right. right. Yeah. It's that easy. Yeah. You know, that's, that's it. Yeah. You know, I didn't feel comfortable about sending my kids back right away, they stayed home with me so we could mm -hmm. deal because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. Yeah. There was no I'll right way to right. No, there was no right way to handle anything because there's no book on it. Right. So right. I had to learn as I went and I wasn't gonna throw school, they'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But I needed my family to be us to yeah. get a heal together. Yeah. So yeah. Things we didn't even know we were healing from. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, you know, I think you did an amazing job staying strong for your family. I actually remember the first time I met you physically was at your husband's wake. And, you know, we all came in line to like pay our respects to you and your children. And you like, you were like, oh, it's so great to finally meet you. And you said like something like you're fabulous. And I was just like, <laughs> wow, you're like at your husband's wake and you still had it in you to say something positive and, you know, greet me with love. And I was just like, wow, this, this is crazy. Thank like, you for saying that. The strength. I, to me, I was, this is going to come across crazy, but I was so proud to have been there. Mm -hmm. 
know, it was a beautiful moment. Him. It was so, it was tragically beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. Just, great. You could feel all the love and so many people came out to and pay their respects. It was so, there was over 2,000 people that had signed in, yeah. never mind the ones that didn't. Yeah. So number one, I was obsessed with that alone. Like what a legacy. Mm -hmm. yeah, and it yeah. wasn't just to say they had been there. It wasn't because you get those people to, oh, we went, did you see? You know, so you know, I'm, I'm going to say this because this is who I am. You know, I wore the red bottoms that night because if you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I'm going to remain is fabulous. Okay. Right. We're going to say, I've been there. I saw her. Yeah. Well, you better be able to prove you saw me because if you didn't see those coming down the aisle, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, queen. And my husband would have had it no other way. I was just going to say. He, I was just going to say. Sure, you did him proud. And, and your hair looked fabulous as well. Yeah. Everything was. Right. <laughs> um, you know, kind of switching over yeah, yeah. here, you know, we've talked about what a hero Joe was. Like, he, he was so amazing and everything that he did. But I want to talk about you as a hero for a moment. Um, switching gears, you found yourself again. Um, and I want to talk to our listeners a little bit about that. You know, you go by Joanne Unsupervised. Why do you do that? Okay, the term widow is horrifying. Mm -hmm. because the first thing you think of in your mind is black veil and yeah. somber and mm -hmm. that's Carrie the Underwood marching through a cemetery <laughs> right a country music video yeah. <laughs> my horse on one side the dead truck on the other and so all I could I remember I was standing in an airport it was the first trip I had taken after Joe had passed. I was going to visit Kayla down in Kentucky. And all I could think of is there was all these other women and you could tell they were widows as well. And I was talking to this one woman. She's so, yeah, we go traveling together. And I'm thinking, love I signed up for. Right. Not it. Like there has to be. And I remember spending that whole time in the waiting area trying to think of another word for it. And then I, all I could think of was, unsupervised i'm not a widow i'm newly unsupervised <laughs> okay <laughs> that will that will explain it's also it's it's, it's an excuse and a new name yeah. you know yeah i love it well, i'm newly unsupervised i didn't know what else to do you know <laughs> <laughs> i said this to somebody about my situation where and some people take it one way and others take it another. And that's fine too. You don't need to. Um, I was very blessed to have been married forever. And how yeah, blessed yeah. I am to have been Joe's forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He just wasn't mine. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean... <laughs> I don't mean in the dating sense. And I don't mean in the you know, happily ever after and someone's running up to my doorstep with a glass slipper. What I mean is my forever is still going. Yeah. yeah. And I'm so honored to have been his forever. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not crying, you're crying. Yeah. It's just amazing that you like can speak so positively and yeah. with so much hope when so much tragic has happened. Mm -hmm. It's very inspiring. Joanne I, think that, <laughs> I, I, I think that one thing, Joanne, I think one thing about that, Joanne, is like, I was talking about this last week. Um, Monica actually said it. A lot of times, especially strong women, you've already dealt with it when you're talking about it. And yeah. I think that that's yeah. what people are seeing from you. It's like, you have dealt with the pain. You've been through it. And you're like, at this point, I'm just telling you my story. Yeah. Right? Because right. you've already... You, you've dealt with it. You've worked I mean, for it. And, and you'll continue to have moments in your life, but you know, you you are a really strong woman and you have bounced back. So tell us how you did that and how, uh, how the LGBT... How Joanne yeah. Joan got her group yes. back. Yes. Yeah. Joanne got her group <laughs> back. <laughs> the title of your book. I love this story. And only because it was so cool. I, I got into a funk right after Joe passed away, like mm -hmm. a serious funk, where I had... Listen, Vogue wasn't calling. But I had prided myself in <laughs> every day, getting up, getting dressed, putting the earrings on, doing my hair, and off to chemo we went, or off to another appointment we went. Mm -hmm. And people were like, why, why do you do? I said, because if I turn out in the 
you know, gray sweatpants, he's going to know something's really bad. Mm. And this part I didn't tell you was he didn't know he had a time frame. Oh. Wow. <laughs> when the doctors were talking one day, Joe said to them, I don't want to know anything, but you tell her. God, so she can make all the, you know, do what she needs to do. Mm -hmm. right. And all Joe said to me was, but you tell no one. Because he wanted people to remain genuine. He didn't okay. want people to walk past him. And, you know, when you get to the stage in your life, when a situation like this, you have to make sure you have the moisturizer for your elbow, because that's the first thing people grab is, oh, any cracked elbows in this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. So that was the hardest part was having the doctor tell me he had eight and a half months and me not being able to do anything about it. Yeah. Right. You know, that I was even having to call doctors before we got to a new appointment and tell them he doesn't know. Do, like you can't, mm. like you can't even hint around. So with that every day, getting up, getting dressed an another outfit, another pair of boots, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, right after he died, I literally couldn't match two tube socks together. Yeah. If I wanted to, I just didn't even understand. Like I would, you know, I would look at things and go, but why? I just, I had no purpose right. for yeah. getting up and getting dressed. And I wasn't falling into it. Like I wasn't, I wasn't lying there, you know, not doing anything. I would get up and I would go out and I would pull myself together the best I could. And I was like, ah, so here it comes. Then I thought, oh, maybe a little makeup, maybe a little contouring, maybe yeah. a little this. <laughs> so I start watching these contouring videos and there's these 20 somethings <laughs> with the fish like face. This already and and these little and I'm thinking that's not me so yeah. I happen to have fallen upon Cosmo Queens mm, okay. and yeah. my beautiful Miss Alexis Michelle yes ma'am yes, shout she's out a friend to of the pod. Alexis Michelle <laughs> thank you who knows the story and but I don't know if she knows the story like I, she does but um so I'm watching her videos and I'm looking at them going okay I could if she could do that I could do that mm -hmm. and that's where it started where I literally stalked her and I'm <laughs> all her videos and I'm I'm okay girl you can do this pull yourself together yes find your color yes body image. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So Darren and, and, and everybody take me to a show one night. <laughs> We're going to meet Miss Alexis. Now, how weird was that night though? It was a Christmas show uh -huh. and it was empty. Yeah. It was right? less than like, a, like a couple of other it was yeah really empty. I don't we know had the whole place to ourselves. Honestly, we were front row, like, at one point, Pandora Box was like hugging everybody. Well, th this was pre-COVID, right? Oh, right, right, right. right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pandora Box, who that was the one I was talking to on the stage that night. Yeah. You know? And Darren was like, "You have no idea how epic that night was." Jam Jam was there. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Jam, Sugar Cane. Um, <laughs> and I just didn't even. I took who was I was there to see Alexis, who uh -huh. did. Like, two numbers and that was it and I didn't care like my life was complete I thought that's it and I'm up buying the merch <laughs> and and I'm buying you know the the subway fish onesie the onesie <laughs> I wear this everywhere and the next thing I know I get a little tap on my shoulder <laughs> <laughs> and it's her and I, I literally fell out now of course they all know what's happening you know and they're watching and they're all like this. And I'm literally the tear and I don't cry. Literally the tears are streaming down. And I'm looking up like this, going, Oh my God. You know, <laughs> some people say don't meet your idols. Yeah, you meet them. Okay. <laughs> but not love the experience. You have mine. Yeah. <laughs> I have mine, but <laughs> and then after that, you know, I followed her. Now I had never watched um Drag Race. Drag Race ever, not one episode. 
so I knew nothing but her. Right. I mean, the other drag queens were lovely and it was beautiful. I mean, sugarcane, come on. <laughs> yeah. And so I followed her around for a while after that. And, and I, we went to the show that night. Um, where were we? Oh, oh uh, the cabaret uh, show. Yeah, Club Coming. Yeah. Club Coming. Um, I loved seeing her like that in that element. And that was the first night I brought her Pride Roses. It was Pride Week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was right before. And I just remember hearing um, from when she was about maybe six feet away from me getting in her car, like the car service to go home. And all I could hear her say was, they're pride roses. And she came over to give me a kiss and say thank you. And I thought, now. <laughs> You're like, I'm in now. I'm in. And, and <laughs> so she completes me. Like, and I'm not saying that being like one of those weird stalker fans. There was a part of me that was missing. Because I don't know if Darren ever told you that part of the story either. When Darren came out to me, I was 10 different ways of excited. Like every, when he was said he was thinking about it, I kept knocking <laughs> <laughs> I would knock on the bedroom door, go, how we doing today on that thought process? <laughs> you all the way out yet? <laughs> I thought I'm gonna rip the bandaid on this one. And I walk in and I'm all dressed up and I go, Darren, what do you think? He goes, Ma, let me just explain this to you. I will never care whether your shoes match that purse. Oh. <laughs> you know that. And I just go, I go away stamping like a child going, sure, I get the only gay child that <laughs> could care less about fashion, will never call me fierce. We'll never <laughs> you could call me Joanne. You could call me. <laughs> I will call you fierce. Yes. <laughs> now I, I surround myself by people who will do that. <laughs> oh, wow. so Find me my moment. Uh, <laughs> well, we thank you so much for supporting us and loving us and the LGBT community. No, yes. no, no, no. Stop yourself there, please, because I'm thanking you for allowing me to be part of your world. Mm. You were always in this world. You allowed me to be a part of yours and learn everything and, and, and experience everything with you without it looking like, if I have a question, Darrell, I call you. You do. <laughs> I look forward to those calls. I'm always fucking working, but I look forward to those calls. And I'll I call you back, I'm like, I'm I so sorry. I missed your call earlier today. Because <laughs> I feel so bad, all of a sudden something will pop in my head, like the gender fluid. Yeah. A little confused by that, but I'm not anymore, thank you, Darrell. Because the only thing I knew about being gender fluid was um, Jeffree Star. Right. Mm. Okay. I, this was all new to me. So I'm thinking, all right, I want to be respectful. I want to learn about this. Teach me, Darrell. So I forget that he's working just because I'm not. And I was like, <laughs> it's always it's always my pleasure like you've been such a support um you and darren and the rest of the kids y'all are family we love you yeah this we world needs more people like you yeah. yes if honestly we just have more well, more people like you who were able to help more people like me you know, and well, thank you for thanking me. <laughs> hey, for thanking you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and if I'll we all have, you. we have to have another slumber party, though. That's for sure. And yeah, I'm, yes. I need to come this time for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Also, Joanne can cook, so she, can she didn't even talk about all that. That's a whole nother podcast. And a yeah. Yeah. Bacon bourbon jam. Oh yeah. my god, I tore that up. Yeah. It was so good. And you can eat it with anything. You anything. Can, you can I put it anything. on everything. Yeah, you can dip anything in it works. I don't know how it does that. Um, no, thank you. Yes, <laughs> thank you. And we'll, we'll schedule something. But Joanne, tell our, we've talked about your online name, but tell all of our listeners where they can go find you on Instagram. Well, I'm on Instagram. It's under Joe Unsupervised. Perfect. Joe Unsupervised. I have thoughts of, you know, telling my story through like a, um, a, um, what do they call those? Look at me. What do the children call them? <laughs> yeah, don't ask us. Blog. Blog. You know, everything with me has a story. Mm -hmm. And it it's never a negative one. It doesn't have to be. Right. Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, would they say get lemons? You know, when you get lemons, make lemonade. Squeeze that shit over tequila. 
you know because you can't you can't yeah you're allowed to be negative and you're allowed to live in a moment amen absolutely amen and that's fine that's yeah after that what makes us human yeah. well joanne i'm looking forward to your book your <laughs> your your, your, your lifetime movie your, your yeah. lifetime movie your tour because <laughs> this motivational speaking yeah is gonna is gold it's, it's gold, gold. And it's, you're i think so it's what inspiring. people need i mean there are so many other wives and, and husbands and stuff out there that can learn a lot from you. So keep talking and keep preaching and we love you so much. Thank I you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much. And I love you. We love, love you guys. too. Thank you, Joanne, for Thank sharing you. your story. The past four years have taught us the importance of showing up and speaking out. That's why for the upcoming 2020 election, we have to remember that love is love. Women's rights are human rights. No human is illegal. And black lives do matter. So turn up and vote this November 3rd. Be sure to register at voteamerica.com. And request your absentee ballot if you can. Let's end 2020 on a positive note by showing, showing up and, and making change. change. Welcome back with Alexis Fish, the VP of Pride at MRC Entertainment. Hello, Alexis. Hi. 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 Hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> so give our listeners out there a little bit of what it means to be the VP of Pride at MRC Entertainment. You're, you've, you've worked for Hollywood Reporter, Billboard, the list goes on and on. You've been in the LGBTQ queer media community for 20 plus years. So what is your day-to-day -day like? now um well thank you so much for having me on first of all and it's it's really it's interesting when hr was talking to me about this role they said you know you don't really have a lot of corporate experience and i said well that's honestly because corporate america really wasn't interested in the stories that i wanted to tell i've always just wanted to center and amplify i mean this is all stuff we hear now like non-stop but right. years ago five years ago ten years ago People weren't saying, I want to center and amplify voices that are disenfranchised and like just not heard. So I've, my whole career has been making media for the LGBTQ community. But for me, the umbrella of queer is just, if, if you need to fight to get heard, if you're not a cis white human, like I'm, I'm going to champion your story. So Love that. now... I get to be in corporate America as the vice president of pride and this beautiful company has bestowed upon me the, um, the gift and responsibility of looking at all the facets of MRC. So we have a film division, a TV division, a nonfiction division. We make everything from House of Cards to Ozark to Knives Out, um, Dick Clark Productions, so the ball dropping, and so you think you can dance, and then Billboard and The Hollywood Reporter, and I'm actually the editor of Billboard Pride and work closely with The Hollywood Reporter as well to center our stories. That's awesome. awesome. I'm obsessed with Billboard Pride. I follow, <laughs> I went to some event years ago and met another contributor for Billboard Pride, fell in love with the platform, um, obviously being a member of the LGBT community <laughs> myself. Um, but Alexis, earlier we had on Joanne Stack, who shared her personal story of being affected by September 11th. Obviously, we're coming up on um, another- 19th anniversary. The 19th anniversary, unfortunately, of September mm -hmm. 11th. So I was wondering, do you have any um, memories or stories of um, how you were personally affected yeah, I mean, I lived in the West Village in 2001. I was 22 years old. My goodness. And, um, my girlfriend worked at the Espresso Bar on Christopher Street, where all of her clients were on their way to the World Trade Center. Mm. Um, I left a month prior to work on an HBO documentary in Los Angeles. Um, and I had a crew in Ireland, but uh, that afternoon I ran into some friends and learned that... Um, one of my dearest friends, mother, uh, Elvis Perkins, who you might all know now is a beautiful, beautiful musical artist. Elvis Perkins is a well-known, um, his mother, Barry Berenson, who is an absolute 
idol to all of us. It was the house we hung out at where everyone played music. Barry, um, Barry was one of the most magical humans alive. Uh, if you do any research on her, you'll find out. Talk about a queer advocate. She was actually, you know, she was married to Tony Perkins and she had a beautiful relationship with him and a relationship that we now could accept as as like oh okay queer it was a queer marriage in many respects so she perished on uh the flight from new york um where, you know it's just a game changer um cut to 17 years ago i mean 17 years later i get a call from Condé Nast that is going to launch the first queer vertical them and I start working um, on September 10th at the World Trade Center uh, launching Condé Nast for Square Vertical them and after a couple of weeks I went outside and I realized um, at the World Trade Center Memorial Barry's plaque was literally facing the door that I walked into every day so um, it just really reminded me you know every day every breath every moment yeah i um i started my career at Condé Nast actually and i know phil picardi how was it working with phil and creating this monumental new platform all whilst like looking over at the monument from you know, 9-11 and like I go there, well, I used to pre-COVID like once a quarter at least for meetings. Mm -hmm. And it's just like the essence of being downtown. Um, it's still very much present. Yeah. So how was that for you? I mean, honestly, if I would say the first two weeks, you can't stop thinking about it. Every creek, every door that closes. I mean, it, it was... You know, I, I have feelings about how what, what, we, what should have happened to that site after so many people were murdered there. The experience of, of starting them was profound and unbelievable, but um, one of our editors suffered from really, really severe anxiety. And I, I, there, was a, there were a couple things that happened. I don't exactly, but you know, it was like, let's hit, let, like, hit the ground. It was... Yeah, you really didn't. I, it took me a couple of weeks to not think about where I was. Yeah. 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 But the experience of them was was a gift. I mean, just again, when, when corporate America, i.e., you have a budget, you have access, um, says we want to make queer content, you know, here, let's do a story on. Um, AIDS activists. Well, actually, essentially the disclosure, not the disclosure doc, welcome to Chechnya. We yeah. were going to do a piece on people who are HIV positive applying for asylum in the US. And all of a sudden you want to talk to someone, at, you know, in, in Russia and you can say Condé Nast. And I had never had that access before. It's the same thing with Billboard. You're able to get things done faster and more efficiently when you work with behind a corporate machine. Yeah. Are there good things and bad things about working behind that corporate wall? I don't want to get you into trouble by <laughs> digging deep. But because I work in corporate America too, and like there are obviously like good things about it, but there can be some red tape that's unfortunate. So do you have any um, stories that you wouldn't mind sharing that were a little bit challenging in order to get some sort of queer content produced? You know, um, I will say that I'm so grateful that I, w I didn't come up in corporate America because now as a 44-year-old queer woman, I, I look at things so differently and I, I want to move through spaces so differently than... So um, I was charged with throwing our first billboard in the Hollywood Reporter Pride Summit last year and we did it again this year. And I've been going to queer anythings forever, film festivals, music festivals, conferences, um, and Billboard had a prescribed and ha ha has a prescribed way of doing things. And they said, you know, go to the, la go to la go to the Latin music in Las Vegas and see how we do it. But as, a, as an outsider, I, I threw my own summit. You know, I, I really made the conversations. I essentially said, 
I, I want to have the conversations we're not having. I want to, if the pose panel, if we're going to bring everyone from pose together, which is a gift, like, let's talk about like colorism and let's talk about representations of AIDS and let's talk about how as a trans actor, you cannot get work. Yes, you're on pose, but like, what else do you get? Right. And how do you keep, and if you're not on pose, how do you keep your SAG insurance? Like, you know, I, I'm, I was a freelancer in this industry for so long. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about what it's like to not be at the highest echelons of the entertainment world as a queer human. How do we make it? How do we get in the rooms? How do we convince people that our voices need to tell our stories? So I, you know, I, and I look at every facet sort of as an outsider when we're doing the Billboard Pride issue, let's use queer photographers and, and feature them that who have never been used before. Let's use, you know, I, when, when we programmed this year's summit, it was before what I call the revolution or the reckoning. And um, we didn't have to reprogram anything because I was already, like the people that need to be here are the queer, POC humans, like they need to be heard. And it's my job to get their voices out there with my privilege and my ability and my access to corporate America because I got so freaking lucky and, you know, had the resume to get me in that door at this echelon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've definitely spoke about how you've been a champion. Um, and you know, it's, it's great because this entire episode is about heroes, and I look at you as a hero um, for what you've done um, for the LGBT community. You know, you put 20 plus years in it. Um, this, and this is very important, this week, actually, since 2016, we've been hearing disparaging comments come from the White House for our LGBT brothers and sisters, rolling back trans protections, saying that war heroes such as um, you know, first responders and people, they're, they're losers. And what do you think about the rhetoric that's been coming from the White House to the LGBT community, as well as to just Americans in general? I think it is yet another attack that an already uh, attacked community is facing from tragically someone who has one of the greatest bully pulpits in the world. Fortunately, I know a lot of people aren't listening, but a lot of people are listening and a lot of people believe it. I mean, it is my job in media to be realistic about the audience that's out there. And I am not naive to the fact that uh, what he what this human says, uh, I mean, I, I just, I hope, I hope more than anything that our queer youth aren't hearing this and this isn't compounding the challenges of their existence and our trans sisters and brothers who are, you know, being murdered <laughs> that, that pandemic. Right. I think it's, I think it is a, it's a very, very painful thing to see someone who could affect so much change and do so much good um, speak that way of any human. As a woman, as an LGBTQ woman who has a platform in media, especially in this age of quote unquote fake news, that's fake in itself. Um, what would you say to those young queer people who are growing up in this time who are questioning their um, their existence and their courage to like come out or not come out? Um, for us, we grew up in, well, for me specifically, grew up in a really small town in Texas yeah. and I did not want to come out and Trump was not president yet. And I wasn't aware of the LGBT community being attacked by the government yet um now this is just an everyday conversation which is good and bad but what would you say to those young queer kids today you're perfect exactly as you are Amen. And for whatever reason 
the universe placed you in a town, in a home, in a church that hasn't yet been educated. And you know, I, I, I think so much of the fear of homophobia, of racism, it's just a lack of education and awareness. So for whatever reason, they are in that place. And if, if, you know, if the work that I get to do through billboard or the work that you're doing through this podcast, if we can create media that somehow gets through the barriers of the parents or whomever, the songs, if I can amplify this, the artists, the songs, if we can make the movies that they can see or the TV shows or the articles, the, the podcasts and just hear like, you know, Dan Savage, it gets better, but it's not even that it gets better. It's that you are perfect the way you are. And, and, and we're going to fight for you. Um, you know, Glisten and Glad and all of these organizations are fighting for you. And I am like standing in solidarity with all of them. Um, and yeah, you're perfect. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> Is there something that a piece that you're currently working on or have worked on that has just been like your aha moment. This is why I was placed on this earth. I've had two. Okay. okay. Yes. Uh, the first movie was a film I was honored to executive produce called Short Bus with John Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. I love that. Um, so I I met John at New Fest with Christine Rashawn and Kim Pierce. I'm I'm going into the like the 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 what I would like to call the the royalty of cinematic of queer cinema of our of our of these decades and um partial just like a little fraction anyway uh, and john wrote a piece in the village voice about how he was putting together a film called short bus that was going to be all improv and deal about love in post 9-11 oh in post 9-11 new york yeah, there you go that's wow. it and uh um, I moved to, uh, believe it or not, I worked on The Apprentice. I worked on season three of The Apprentice. So I actually know this human um, who is a, yeah, I, I, I worked on the show. I mean, I was a, whatever, I was a kid. Um, <laughs> and, and, but then I, I became the, um, I ran, I started the first, well, as part of the, starting the first television network in Haltom City, Texas. Don't know if that's where you grew up, but that's where I'm close. I'm close. <laughs> I'm from like East, East Texas as well, like close by Braden, like an hour. So like, it's very close. Right. So that's where we had our set, the cheapest satellite uplink. So we all, we all moved to Haltom City, City, Texas. And the owner was like, you know, here, here, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to brand ourselves by aligning with the best and brightest queer artists. And John Cameron Mitchell, who made Hedvig, has a new project. Can we get behind it? And we wound up executive producing Short Bus. And that was the first time that I received feedback from people that media I had been responsible for creating or been a part of had, had you know, changed hearts and minds, had touched them, their lives, had... Um, made them see something differently and, and still to this day, thank, thank you. Your response is to short bus as well. Like you, you really, you loved it. It, it meant something and it yeah. was, it was a story. So, and that, you know, I, I fought, I fought really hard to get help get that film made um, with Howard Gertler and John. So uh, I would say that was the first thing. And then, you know, these pride summits that, um, that we're doing at Billboard and the Hollywood Supporter, I mean, Hollywood Reporter, you can still see the content that we created online. And I have to tell you that, you know, this year, some of the conversations, there was a conversation between um, Lily Wachowski, who created The Matrix, and this woman, Abby, who, uh, Lily is a trans woman. Um, yeah. Yep. And Abby from a show called, oof, it's on Showtime. It's right after the L word. It's called, uh, the, um, uh, oh my god, Abby, I love you. I'm so sorry. I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, it, it, it's, oh god, it's such a great show. Um, Our producers are looking it up right now. Right, yeah. right now. <laughs> I love the show. Anyway, we, we did a conversation there. We had Lena Waithe, you know, in a beautiful conversation with Jonica Gibbs, a black 
you know, stud, essentially, a black, a masculine of center woman mm-hmm. who Lena fought for to get as the lead on the 20s. So I think, I think, you know, the work I'm doing w- collectively with my colleagues at Billboard and The Hollywood Reporter for the Summit and Short Bus, that's my heart. And there's a couple pieces at them that I have to say. There's one piece on trans youth that, oh, please, everyone watch it. It's so good. Yes. Well, it sounds like you're talking about a work in progress. Our producers got back to me. That is the name <laughs> that you were talking yes! about. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. That's what you're saying. It's a work in progress to get right. this out. So, yeah. Yeah. Showtime was really the leading, um, you know, for queer content. I feel like they yeah. were one of the first ones, you know, oh. L word, work in progress. Like it's mm-hmm. so, it was so ahead of its time. I remember mm-hmm. having to, um, and Adam had talked about this as well. We had to watch Queer as Folk and have our uh, remotes there and then go backwards because it's like someone walking in. Like that was our guilty pleasure. Yeah, it was like, it in secret. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was so, such, so ahead of its time. Which is sad that it was ahead of its time. It's so weird. Yeah, and you know, now we have Pose and people are saying, oh, it's, ahead of it, it's like, no, these people exist. People- <laughs> We've been waiting we've to been tell waiting. these stories, right. you know? Right. And it's about time that like, we can amplify POC and queer voices. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Alexis, for like all the work that you're doing as yeah. a person in media, as a white woman in media, like amplifying the, the voices, especially the black voices within the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community who need it now more than ever. Like we really appreciate it and look forward to the continued content that you produce. Like it's just, it's Mm -hmm. so inspirational and there needs to be more. And I I definitely, you know, speaking from a a black queer man, I appreciate it more than you'll ever know. I have so many of my white friends who, that that are women that I feel don't understand. And I feel like you're out there fighting and you are a hero. And I really do thank you for everything that you've done and that you continue to do. Because I think that it's voices like yours that are going to continue making sure that I continue to live my life and and, and be prideful about it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, uh, first and foremost. Um, thank you for, you know, anytime people are creating media that that works, that, that you know, reaches an audience, it is a gift. Um, you know, to my fellow cis white colleagues out there, um, now is the time for us to actually be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. to make changes in our corporate America. Um, you were asking my experience at MRC, like, you know, it is not comfortable to call out um, internal bias that you're not even aware of. It is not comfortable to mm-hmm. uh, say, no, you know, I don't want to host this. I want Shea Diamond, you know, Shea Diamond hosts our podcast because mm-hmm. yes, I'm a woman with a voice in media, but don't, you don't need to hear my voice. I use my voice to amplify yeah. other voices. Beautiful. Well, again, thank you so much yeah. for like, continuing to be just a fighter and a person that amplifies voices out there especially during this time more than ever because this yeah. year has been so shitty especially with like 2020 this year has been the longest year i feel like is 2020 ever going to end and when it does will the dust clear and will who will be still here like how are we going to do this it's crazy one step at a time, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all we can do. So Alexis, tell um, everyone where they can find you on social media so they can follow you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you, why don't you look at my work? Yes. Um, yes. Tell us, tell, tell us our listeners that. Yes. yes. <laughs> so my work, you can find it Billboard Pride. I would love for you to look at the, you know, the past summits, the Billboard and Hollywood Reporter summits. You can go to bbthrpridesummit.com. Um, you know, find short bus, find, uh, what, what else, uh, them, the, the first like seven or eight videos of them. I'm, I mean, them is wonderful. All of the work they're doing is wonderful, but I'm, I'm really proud of that work. And, um, yeah, look, look at the artists, you know, Shia Diamond and Madam Gandhi and, and the people that we've really been trying to stand behind and Jazzy and Chica and, um, there's just some awesome queer humans that, 
are the voices, you know, don't, if you, if you look at my Instagram, you'll see chickens in my backyard and tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I is, it's Listen, fine in its own right. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm of a different generation, admittedly. Um, I, I use my voice to get other voices heard. Not my own voice. Eh, we, eh. And that is really, really, really important. And we thank you for that. Oh, it is, uh, it is the, the gift of my life. And I'm so great. I just live in total gratitude that this is what I get to do. Truly. I love that. Amen to that. Well, thank you, Alexis. Thank you for taking the time to chat with yeah. Pride Podcast. We <laughs> really have to come back. Yes. Please chat. come back. Yes. And when we get this pandemic under control and we're in Los Angeles, we'll all meet up. Yeah. We'll go out for We love brunch. brunch. We love a brunch. So <laughs> we'll do that any day of the week. Uh, stay so safe i wish you all the best for you and yours and please keep making media that changes hearts and minds we will here here thank you thank (laughs) Thank you bye